3: good morning everybody welcome to this wednesday edition of benzinga's pre-market prep spencer israel joel elcon and dennis dick with you this morning what's on our radar netflix had a blowout quarter the best quarter that a lot of people can remember for them from them in quite some time so we'll talk about that we'll talk about alibaba jack ma made a public appearance he is alive i don't know whether or not we should be surprised Probably not, but Alibaba's up on the, on just a Jack Ma sighting overnight. We'll talk about that. Talk about BlackBerry making it keep. I don't know what to say about BlackBerry. It's still going up. It can't stop. It won't stop. Uh, two guests on our radar for today. Jake Wujastic. He's the co-founder of Trent hill It's been called George Forrest at 8.35. At 9, we'll be joined by Blue Putnam, managing director and chief economist at the CME Group. He's going to give us his and bear cases for the economy in 2021 if i'm too quiet let me know i've bumped up my mic this morning so that shouldn't be an issue now uh hit that like button on youtube and facebook we appreciate that and now i will throw it over to joel mr El conan how are we doing this morning
5: michigan beat maryland so that's uh that makes uh got the night sure. off to a good start but uh sps they're up 15 and three-quarters handles at 0675. We caught support just below the close of 9050. Let's just think about uh the high from last week, 1775. That's only 10 handles away. Uh crude marching back towards the high the move up 44 cents at 53.46. Gold flat two bucks at uh, well two thirty at eighteen thirty-eight. You have silver in the red by seven cents at twenty-five twenty-four. And Bitcoin, it has to move a couple thousand bucks today. Today it's moving to the downside. Down one thousand nine hundred and twenty dollars. Uh couple lower highs in there. Uh working on three lower highs. Forty thousand seems to be the the old number. We had a great number at ten thousand. We had a great number at twenty thousand. Well, 40,000 looming to be a bigger and bigger number for the Bitcoin bulls. Triple D... Got a lot of green on my screen, set for the metals and for Bitcoin. What are you seeing out there?
4: This is the kind of market. And I'll tell you, so everybody you know, that's been following the show for a while, you know my day trading, my overnight trading, I uh, usually trade hedged. What that means is I usually... I'm trying to trade dollar neutral, where I've got an equal amount of longs, equal amount of shorts. And all I'm doing is simply extracting the alpha from my strategies. I'm trying to smooth my earnings curve in that way. I will tell you lately... I have actually been just leaving on more longs because it seems like every day we open up anyways. I never do this in like 15 years. And this isn't swing trading. This isn't investing. This is my day trading account. This is literally just extracting extra alpha from the market going up. And um, I never do this kind of stuff where I'm just, you know, just staying long extra stocks. But it's like you keep getting rewarded for it. So I'm like, I always want to be long a little bit more than I'm short. And this is the market and we're up another dollar you know, we're up another fifteen points on the S and P it rewards me again for that behavior. Um, it's the kind of market that is just rewarding all risk and obviously, you know, there's different stocks and some stocks it's not rewarding as much, but I mean the more risky your stock, the more it's rewarding you. You know, you talked about Blackberry off the bat. I never do this either. I sold my Blackberry yesterday morning because I thought that, you know, okay, well, it's had a pretty good move. I bought this thing last week at around eight bucks. It got up to like 11 and a half. And I'm like, this is a lot of money, really, really fast. In three, four sessions, you know, you're making 60% on your money. I, I turned around and I was like, you know what? I, it's going to keep running. And I turned around and I actually rebought my shares. So I sold it. And actually, I did on the Canadian exchange, and I sometimes trade my tax-free savings account on the Canadian stocks, which is, you know, just tax-free, so I don't have to worry about the tax implications. I'm like, I don't even have to worry about paying the tax bill on this thing, so that's why I probably sold in the first place. So I just turned around, and I was like, I actually rebought it for 10 cents higher than I sold it. So I didn't scalp, I actually lost 10 cents on the scalp, but I had the FOMO of missing out. I'm like, I'm just paying up. So I ended up rebuying the shares that I sold 10 cents higher. So glad that I did that because it's run now almost $2 since I did that just yesterday morning. And this is the kind of market that, I mean, it's really unreal that stocks just get going and they go nuts. I mean, this is BlackBerry, but I guess, you know, the story's starting to get hot. They're starting to talk about the patents. Um, they're talking about it on Twitter all the time. The volume's insane. It's traded too much yeah, really shares already this the morning. So sign. I don't know, like where the party ends here, but I mean, this party, this is a stock that's been down in dead money for years, and you know we've seen, you know, GameStop, you know, and, and not that we're gonna have a short squeeze in BlackBerry here because I don't know what the short interest is. Yeah, I It's know nothing like it, it was, right there. but there's just the potential for Robinhood to grab a hold of this thing and keep running it, and that's what they do doing every day so you know doing things i don't normally do i could take a quick 50 60 percent gain i say good trade and then a few minutes later i'm like why did i do that why did i sell it and i'm regretting it and i actually turn around and rebuy it which was a good move i mean this is this is the kind of market that's rewarding aggressive behavior so i'm not sure again you know people are saying you know oh, everything's a bubble or a lot of people are saying a bubble but from my experience from 2020 One thing I've learned is timing the pop of that bubble is very difficult, and it seems like the bubbles like to get bigger. So what you think, you know, is a ridiculous move gets way more ridiculous sometimes. So I don't know.
5: So I'm back in Blackberry. I was out for literally a few minutes. (laughs) I couldn't take it. I got back in. Free market high 1324. That's really all I can give you. We got to look at the monthlies too, and we're getting back into territory that we haven't seen since September of 2016. So you're looking at a monthly high of 1338 and then another monthly high of uh, 1455. But uh, momentum just going, had uh, a little bit of a breather on Tuesday, but uh, picked up the momentum, or excuse me. We we were off Monday. Yeah, the old yeah the old day off trick. But yeah, just like yesterday,
4: I was saying work day when I meant to say obviously slack. But I used the work ticker. I mean, you get three days off. My brain isn't even functioning here. So finally, you know, you get twenty four hours of trading in there. Your brain starts working again. So I feel a little bit more with it here today. But the days off, the extra day off, is a killer when you're in a zone. When you're a trader. You kind of just want to stay in the trading zone. And when you get too many days off, it's like when I take a vacation, and obviously I did that one vacation before COVID, I take a week off and I come back in, it takes me like a day or two to get the feel back. It's like, you know, because I trade a lot on gut instincts. And I'm like, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling the market here. You know, there is some quantitative strategies I'm doing, and those work, you know, because you're taking kind of the emotion out of it. But a lot of my trading is just feel. Like rebuying the BlackBerry yesterday is just feel. I was like, I could feel it. I was like, okay, the market's kind of rolling over. This is not. I'm like, this is just wanting to go higher. And you could feel that. You could feel the stall. And, you know, exactly where I did it yesterday, just, you know, trying to, you know, I don't know how you, you know, you really you know, t- talk about feel. It's something that's acquired over time. But, you know, you had the open on BlackBerry. It popped up, and then it started to leak and leak and leak. And you're like, is it going to fill that gap? And I was like, I don't know about this. And that's when I sold it. And I was like, I turned around. I was like, you know what? It's not. And I, and it was holding the open price, too. And I'm like, I screwed up selling this. I just, I knew I screwed up right away. And that's when I turned around and repaid up 10 cents from where I'd sold it. And, you know, obviously the stock continued to run from there. But I mean, this feel is, you know, that's just years of experience. And, you know, as you trade more, you'll get more feel. And there's a lot to that. You can extract a lot of alpha just from reading the tape and just from feeling the tape. So you're off for a week. Not feeling as much. Off for three days. I'm not feeling as much. But now, you know, all of a sudden, you start in one day, you start to get back into, it and you're feeling it again. Like right, this morning, cr- I, I like this morning another trade. You know, right, I short Procter. Right. I short Procter and Gamble on that earnings. You're like, how do you short things? I'm like, Procter and Gamble is not the kind of stock that they. And I shorted after the report that they're going to continue to rip after it rips up three. So it got ridiculous. You know, give us the earnings number, Spencer. Sure. I'll tell you about my Go. trade. PG Spencer. No,
3: I gotta bring myself back on. There we go. I was back.
4: I was backstage. He was trying to fix the static.
3: All right. uh, Q2 uh, EPS for PG a buck sixty four versus a dollar fifty one cent. Estimates they beat that number of sales. Also beat nineteen point seven versus nineteen point two billion dollars. They raised their core EPS growth forecast for this year. Raised it by a few percentage points from a low end of five percent to a low end of eight percent. That's EPS gain, uh, gain growth for the year, uh, so the headline numbers were good.
4: The the numbers were great. Procter and Gamble has been in the gutter. Look at the stock chart. One, when you see stocks going down, you see the ca- the revert the you know the counter trend rally here. You know on a on a news event, it's often faded. And then two. I've been saying this for a while. Look at your Coke chart. Look at your Procter Gamble chart. They're selling these stocks right now because they're not making and people enough money. They're not sexy. They don't want these. They don't want a stock that's giving you a 2 3% dividend right now when I can make 2 3 4 10% a day in BlackBerry. So it's the kind of market. It's going to rotate back into these stocks once you get some risk off. But right now we're full risk on. So you're going to rally, and this is, you know, the algos, you know, not being able to, you know, or, or maybe it's people too chasing it. But they're like, oh, Procter Gamble, great report, I'm going to buy that. I'm like, this is trading up, I come in, I'm like, this is trading up four bucks. Procter & Gamble's up four dollars. I don't care what the numbers even look like. <laughs> I hadn't even looked at the numbers. I'm like, there's no way it's holding up four bucks. So it did trade up to 137 and a half over that this morning. So basically up four dollars. It started coming a little, bit. I waited until I started to see it come down a little bit, and then it, then some offers started for me. You could see it. I was like, okay, some sellers are coming in here. So I got short at 136.90, and I've covered it now, and, and I've covered it early, obviously. But I took a quick buck out of it. Um, literally, I was in the trade for about three minutes, and um, you know, now I'm looking at. I was like, I probably covered too early. I'm like, I wouldn't even be surprised. If this thing goes red. Because you look at Goldman's, the same story. I mean, it's not oh, sexy. Yeah, yeah. yeah what's se- we said that with Goldman yesterday. I was like, we be very cautious chasing that because it's not sexy. I mean, this isn't a storied stock, you know, Procter & Gamble. So I don't think they're turning around and ripping this up five bucks. It's still trading up $1.65. It was a great quarter. The company's doing everything right. But this is not the kind of stock that this market wants right now. So that's why I tend to think that this might continue to leak. It would not surprise me if it goes red. It doesn't deserve to go red. But a lot of things don't deserve to be where they are. So it's still buck $1.75. It's probably fairly priced right now. That's why I've covered this short. It's probably fairly priced because it was a pretty good quarter. But is this the kind of stock that continues to leak? If we continue to go risk on, they're not going to be buying Procter & Gamble. So you got to kind of know the environment that you're in. It's not just buy everything because if you're buying everything, you're not making that much money because Coke, like we've been saying, is going straight down. The consumer staples have not looked in performance Just heading all into all.
5: the report. Just look at the daily heading into the report. I I'm mean, not even, Gamble. Yeah, not even going back to that old-time high, just going back to a couple weeks ago. I People mean, are someone, selling? Yeah, they wanted are, out ahead of the report and had a big down day yesterday. They're not
4: nervous about the report, though. They're, just, they're not even caring about the report. People are just selling these stocks because they're literally not making enough money in them. People don't want a 2.34% dividend right now. They don't want to sit in here and pay 28 times for a Consumer Staples product uh, or for a Consumer Staples company. I mean, this is the kind of you know people are after 10% gains a day. They are you've been rewarded so much by putting risk on. There is people who have these in their portfolio and they're looking. Oh, I want to buy more of this risk on stuff. I want to buy more SPACs. I want to buy sell more of this. Sell, trouble. sell, sell the stocks that aren't performing, and that's what they're doing. And this typically happens. At the end of the bull run. Because now you're actually having people sell good companies. Procter & Gamble, Coke are good companies. Good, stable companies. I might put some of these in my long-term investing portfolio. But my swing trading portfolio? Hell no right now. Because that's not the stuff that's performing. So it's all about understanding the market that you're in. And that's why you know when a stock like Procter & Gamble pops up 4 bucks on earnings report in an environment where they don't want to own a stock like Procter & Gamble, it's a gift. It's still up at $1.80. It's probably still a gift. So we'll see where it goes. But, I mean, Goldman was the same story. I mean, the banks that run. Are they sexy? No. It's they, not like, you know, it doesn't have
5: that killer story behind it. You know, Blackberry started with the story. Uh, two levels. Let's see. It closed near the low. 33.56 and 33.60 so you're still a couple bucks away from there it was the lowest level it'd been since the end of october too so that's that's a little bit concerning see if it holds up today if not maybe closer to maybe if you look at this a little longer term maybe wait for it to get to one thirty forty-seven uh that was the uh august low so that's what you're looking at still above friday's low or excuse me still above tuesday low as we speak and then you had the overhead supply on the pop i look, looked at the daily that you could have been looking at if you were out there at the three-day high of 137.65, you were got a big nd nothing done so good to hit it on the downside but you know what People are buying up Netflix today, and look how quiet that was before. Uh, before that. it had been a tight range the whole year. Spencer, give us the Netflix report.
3: Yeah, this was a, a very, very good report. Remember uh, the last report. For the, for for Q3, remember how how bad they missed on their subscriber growth, right? They were expected to uh, gain six million uh, new subscribers, they only gained two million. Remember that this this, yep. this time around, it was the exact opposite. They blew it away. The EPS number, I think, on a gap basis, missed the estimate by a little bit, and the sales was above. But really, if you, it, it's about digging one level one level deeper here so looking at their subscriber growth uh first off uh, rich greenfield had a pretty good uh tweet uh dennis's best friend of rich greenfield no- uh, noted that in 2020 netflix basically added a hulu that's what they added in 2020 they added all of hulu's subscribers 30 million more or less that's what hulu has that's what they added last year as far as the 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 fourth quarter is concerned uh they topped 200 million subscribers for the first time. They gained uh, where are my numbers here now? Gosh darn it. I have so many numbers. Uh, They gained 8.5 million uh, subscribers last quarter. That was above the estimate. Like I said, they topped that 200 million subscriber number. Uh, Just to put that in perspective, it took Netflix 10 years to go from zero subscribers to 100. They'd broken that threshold in 2017. So it took them just three years to go from 100 million to 200 million subscribers uh so they're really really scaling here they talked a lot about uh being free cash flow positive which they were for the last three quarters of the year they expect that going forward this year uh they're going to pay down their debt they might buy back stock there was there was a lot of good stuff from that
4: report a lot of good stuff
5: we looked so, at this yeah go ahead Triple D. i'm just
4: gonna say this is an this is a stock that the story was cold and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the story <clears throat> warms up here a bit. I think it's got a very important level. I'm going to say that is back to the highs of the move, yep. which, you know, you're looking at five, five seventy 575.37. So you're right there. What does it do at the old all-time highs? Does it hold up today? Do we start making new highs? Because I love it when stocks make new new all-time highs. But I'm not going to buy it $8 away from it because what if it stalls out there? I'd rather be you know guilty until proven innocent. Let's see it get above 580. The quarter did everything right. The story could get hot again. Um, again we know valuation it's it's high on this, but you know, they don't seem to care about that. So it's all about story. Is the story hot again? It's hot for today. And that's why the stock's up significantly. Let's see what it does after five
5: seventy five. I'll tell you, this one, we talked about it on the late show, and it had been in a trading range for the entire year. And I said, hey, just wait for the, you know, to bust out of the top of the trading range. But I don't know. I'm looking at that candle. I mean, I don't know what, I mean, how aggressive you had had to be because it took out 515, and it was at 550. So... I don't know. You just would have. Had oh, super... Algo's
4: got that, Joel. You're not getting into that initial right. candle. I mean, unless you're sitting before it. and unless and Kathy would mean... obviously bought the stock yesterday, so we'll give her some props because she bought it ahead of the report. Good for um, her. We can see that from her from her trades. But you're trying to like beat no the chance. Algos on that headline on earnings. That's a tough trade. That's a tough gig. Unless you're, I mean, if you've got your full automation running, you know, you could maybe and maybe in this case, but I'm I'm am betting if I look at the tail of the tape on that, that is ripping up in minutes. And you know it, it's it's hard because you can say hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But you're a human being for you yeah. to look at that you know earnings report, process that information, um, you know, and look at you know the buy and look at and read it all. You know, you're not going to do that in ten milliseconds. It's going to take you 5 to 10 minutes to really get a full feel. You know, it maybe if you're fast and you're just getting the headlines or trading you can do it in a minute or so. I bet you if you're looking in a minute though, I bet you that stock already rallied most of that. So, it's hard because you see the initial reaction, you're like, "Oh, it must be good," but sometimes you get these fakeouts, then you're trying to read it. as a human being you're trying to read it. Yeah, and you're just, trying yeah, to understand it. Yeah, programmed. It. Yeah, you have to have it kind of programmed in, and that's a real hard thing to do. I mean, we have traders in our firm that try to do this type of stuff. It's a hard thing to write. An algorithm that is going to process all that random information that's in an earnings report, because you can see a beat and a beat, um, even in a raise, and sometimes the stock will go down because there's sentiment factors. There's, you know, all other, you know, intangible factors in there. I mean, you know, we've done a lot of algorithmic trading at Bright Trading. I can tell you, it's a hard thing to perfect because a lot of times you'll buy that stock that beats and beats, and you'll you'll pay up for it. On an algorithm because you think it automatically goes up and then the stock goes straight down and pukes in your face. Went to four ninety first. What It
5: Went to four ninety like, first.
4: first. Oh, it did, eh? I didn't yeah. even notice that. So they hit it off the bat. So anyway, I, I don't know what was... the algorithms were reading on that.
5: <laughs> I think it was the EPS miss, right? Did they did they miss uh, that yeah. EPS? on EPS? Oh, there on, you
4: go. On, on gap basis, on a gap basis. Well, this is know. a yes. great example of what I was just talking about because I wasn't trading. I don't <laughs> try... Yeah. So people think oh I'm sitting there on the Netflix report. I'm getting ready to trade Netflix. It's like tough trades i'm like i would trade like the roku off of it like the sympathy trades you know like what's going to get a lift because netflix is beat all of a sudden but this is a great example of what i was just talking about so the actual the initial headline that missed so the algos that are programmed in read that and they're like netflix missed sell 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 and they get buried they get absolutely buried on that because the devil was in the details, you know, that we're doing a buyback and, you know, we're cash flow positive and, you know, yeah, we missed on a gap basis, but, you know, we grew subscriber growth. So that's just what I was saying. It's difficult, difficult to write these algorithms and, you know, expect to make, you know, like, like these, these people who are doing this and they're making money on these news algos are, are very smart people if they're making money all the time. And I, do, I, d- I doubt the consistency is as, as, as good as everybody
5: thinks it is. Uh, this, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm looking at this, and it's not backing down. I mean, it's not ripping up, but it's not backing down either. So here we are. We're trading up yep. at 568.43. That's right, the high of the pre-market. Uh, Dennis gave the only number that's on the book, and it's I got 572.49. I, I thought you might have said 575, but I have the old oh, – yep, I got the old time. Huh. On October fourteenth. Yeah,
4: no, I'll go further. There's a uh, candle before that. You gotta go back to July. Oh
5: really? five seventy five oh, thirty seven. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So there's an inner yep, good call. I stand corrected. But you got five seven, zone. I mean, come on, it's a five hundred and fifty dollar stock. Let's see, let's call it a zone there. Yeah. And uh and see what you could get there. Let's yeah, you're coming into too. the old
4: highs. So there that's go. gonna be a natural resistance point off the hop, but you're making a good point. It's trade the entire after hour sessions, entire pre market session. Natural. It doesn't appear to want to back off. If you're a few minutes after the report and the stocks are with five sixty nine, it has that potential. But now as more and more trading participants, you know, are trading it up here, it's more locked in up here because you've got people who are now marked from these prices and as more and more volume comes in, it marks it harder. So it makes it more difficult for a quick retracement. Unless there's new information that comes out. Netflix appears to want to be up here, and that's good news. I mean, I could see the stock, you know, breaking out eventually. But again, like I said, I'm not going to buy it five bucks down. I'd rather wait to see it break out. And what I mean by break out, not just kiss 576. You know, just get up there for a day, consolidate maybe for a couple of days, start to show some life, and then go. All about setups. And you know, you're trading a day after an earnings report. That's a hard setup.
5: 5561 is uh, the lowest it's been since uh, it had to spike up. Just kind of trailed back, so I mean that's that's about as minor support as you can get. Five sixty one.
3: I, I want to get to this question before I forget. Uh, Gary Francis asked Joel, "What do you consider a legit breakout
5: for Netflix? I mean, you got to get above you got to get above that that five seventy five number, and not only get above it, but close above it." Yeah, Joel Uh,
4: likes to close above it. That's where I think the key is. Not just kissing above intraday 577 so we hit a few stops and then we're down at 570. We're like, well, it broke out. What happened? I mean, you know, I I agree with you. I mean, you need to be up there. Like, I don't like to... If it's is straight up, I'm not even going to buy it that day because it's too much risk involved. I like to wait you know, you get a couple other bars. Okay, now we've consolidated up here for a couple of days then and it doesn't it. want to sell off. Now you've got some, you know, setups where you got an old low you can lean on from the day before or something. And you, know, you can't lean on anything here. It's all air. It's a gap. It's, you know, all the way down to 501. So it's very risky on day one. I make more money on day three, day four, kind of avoiding them on the first day. I rarely trade a stock like Netflix on an earnings report. I just did on Procter & Gamble, but way more controlled trade. Yeah, that's right. Mean, you, you, when Procter Gamble's up four bucks, it's just overdone in a normal market, and then you're in a stock that is hated by the market right now. That's why you know the the setup. It felt way overdone at one thirty six ninety. Now it's not backing off. You know I, that's why you know I have covered it because it's not one, I thought it was going to come in even more, but it's kind of holding up okay. So I mean that's why I covered the short. But you know still, I I, I, I wouldn't want to be long Procter and Gamble up a buck seventy right now because it's a stock that's not liked. And maybe when the market opens. You know, maybe there's algos that come in, or maybe there's you know, institutions that come in and say, "Oh, that was a great report." But we know this market is getting driven by story, and the story isn't there. So,
3: what, what about any sympathy plays off of Netflix, Roku, or Fubo?
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, all of them are up, and even Disney, yeah. even Disney. Yeah, well, well they talked a lot.
3: They talked a lot on the call about Disney and how great Disney Plus has been doing.
4: The Netflix did. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Disney's up four and a half dollars. We were seeing this trade last quarter that Disney would go opposite to Netflix, but now they're kind of viewing that. Hey, these these are your streamers. There's Netflix and there's Disney that you know are, everybody are else. kicking ass, <laughs> and then there's everybody else is trying to figure it out. So now we've got a pure like sympathy play here, where Netflix takes off. Okay, that's good for Disney. They're seeing you know the 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 world where Netflix and Disney people subscribe to both. I subscribe to both. So you know, there's a lot of people. That probably are um, you know looking at I can afford eight dollars a month and I can afford fifteen dollars a month and kill my cable bill and I have a whole pile of content and you know I got the one TV's watching Disney Plus so, you know the other TV's watching Netflix I mean it's uh it's 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 not expensive luxury so streaming and you know would I subscribe to Fubo I, I think I would if it, you know and obviously I haven't looked into it I'm not even sure is it available in Canada yet is a question but would I subscribe to something like that You know, to get all my sporting events and kill my cable bill completely because the only reason I subscribe to cable right now is to get my hockey package, um, my NHL center ice. And I don't know. Maybe if I could just get it, I don't know what it is. I've never really looked into even though I've owned the stock. I've never actually looked into doing the service, but I would potentially do that. So Fubo's trading up on this too. We had Rich Greenfield yesterday, our our buddy there on Twitter, who has to try to talk the stock down. He might be my my best friend.
3: Don't talk about my best friend
4: like that. (laughs) I'm just saying. You know, like he he so he had the price target of eight fifty, I think he put on the stock or eight bucks, and he says I'm lowering my price target to six fifty. So he's allowed to lower it. You know, it's at thirty one dollars. you eight dollars. You're fifty, but he's trying to get the stock to come down. You know, he's literally using his influence trying to push the price. Is down. it
5: what's that been doing? Let's take a look at that. I, and I have no that.
4: problem with analysis. Like this is why I've had a pet peeve with the way he's just going about it. You know, you can say what you want. You want to be bearish of stock? Awesome. I like bearish calls. It was just that he tweeted like a thousand times about it. I'm like, okay, we know. We know you're bearish, Fubo. We know you don't like the story. But do you have to keep trying, getting on CNBC a dozen times, trying to push the price down? I mean, it was him causing the fall. So, um, you know, and obviously, so it gets a little pop there, and he's got to come out with his selling shoes on because he's trying to drive the price down by his influence. And, I mean, I don't think that's fair. You know, Michael Pachter comes out. He's professional. You know, he comes and he says his opinion. You know, he gives his opinion and that's it. He's not sitting there tweeting about it a hundred times that, you know, I think Netflix is a sell. Netflix is a sell. I mean, and then he comes on our show and he says, "I know, I have got it wrong. I mean, that's why, you know, I have a lot of respect for Michael Pachter. I just don't like the way that uh, Rich has gone about it. You know, he's probably a great analyst, does great stuff. I just don't know why he has to tweet about it a thousand times. So speaking that's of, my pet peeve with the way so, he went about. Speaking
3: it. of Pactor uh, you know what he said after uh, after this Netflix call? He he's still bearish, but even he seemed to acknowledge <laughs> that it was like an amazing, amazing quarter. And you know he's been bearish Netflix for like oh, yeah. Years, years. Yeah, all, I know. He's, all he, the way he, up. He, oh yeah, and, all the way up. And and yep. and he said we are far more constructive about Netflix than <laughs> we have been at any point in nearly a decade. Like like even he's like all
4: right like. That was a good corner. But he, he, I love Michael Pactor because he doesn't, you know, it's all of a sudden chase price. We talk about all these analysts that just chase price. I'm yeah. wrong, and I throw in the towel, you know. You got the RBC analyst upgrading the stock, and you know, and, and chasing price. Oh, that was with Tesla. But well, I he's mean, raising
3: his price target, but he's still had underperform. But still, so, yeah, but yeah.
4: still, you know, he raises a little bit. Where's his price target at? He's way uh, out. Three, he was never
3: three three forty, I think. Somewhere he doesn't
4: that. mind being wrong. Michael Pactors is not mine being wrong. And that's why, you know, we've had him on the show a lot of times. He was our first analyst ever on. He's been coming on our show for years. Yeah. I've just with so much respect for him. And, it, yeah, you know what? We're all going to get it right, and we're all going to get it wrong sometimes. I mean, this is an impossible gig as an analyst to try to be right 100% of the time. It's never going to happen. So, you know, you're coming on and sometimes admitting, and he's admitting on our show, I, look, I've got this wrong. But he still thinks, you know, it's way overvalued.
3: You know what so one thing he
5: questioned and I, I remember those those early discussions, and he was just worried about the content. You know, right? Could they right. produce good content, and how, how much that content will cost? Well, I I think they. I I don't know about how what their you know what their costs are, but I'll tell you. I mean, I what was that show? Uh, the president show that was a good one. Um, yeah,
3: the House of Cards, but I, House I of
5: Cards, but they've come they've come up with uh, quite a few. I mean, yeah, they 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 yeah. have come up with some good shows. So I I so, think that that's important. Awesome I shows, to, and a lot of people have moved over. You know, some big 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 time names, and I've also noticed that they're. You know, like, you know, you're never going to have like an old in the family or like a happy days or, you know, something that lasts for just decades and stuff. They do these three, four, five, maybe, you know, yeah. s- you know, and and then and then move on. That's the that's the time, you know, the time uh, uh, that the people have. Band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's what pa- I mean. pa- I'm Packer's
3: sorry. thing was it Packer's thing was always that Netflix doesn't own. To, to your first point, yes, can they afford to produce all this content, but also they don't actually own most of their catalog. Um, uh-huh. But they've proven that they can keep producing I like content. The one thing they said, though, is they, they said the reason they were cash flow positive for the last three quarters of, of the year was basically because they weren't in production on any shows, right? They, like, production was You're faltered, right. right? So they weren't yep. spending money on production, so therefore they were... But they said we expect to be free cash flow positive this year, too. So, they have a lot of great shows. They said they're going to do a new movie every week this year. Uh, going to watch a new movie every week. So we'll see. We'll see about that. But I mean, Bridgerton.
5: They're... I see that being mentioned. Emily said that that's good. I haven't. I haven't yeah.
3: So many that. shows on my list. Eight thirty-two. So we're going to have Jake Wujastyk on in a couple sure. minutes. Let's just talk to Alibaba for a second here, uh, if we can. Uh, Jack Ma made a public appearance, his first, I believe, since October. I want to say wow. he spoke at a a, a rural teachers' um, uh, ceremony of some kind, and ju- just a a public appearance of Jack Ma is enough to send Alibaba
4: to the moon. You know what? It's so weird here because we knew he was alive. David Faber reported like a week and a half ago. Uh, and he said, you know, David Faber does great reporting on CNBC. We'll give him CNBC. We, have, we we trash CNBC sometimes. I'll tell you, David Faber best. rocks. He's the best. David Faber rocks. And he moved stocks. And he reported like a week and a half ago, he's like, I've got news on Jack Ma. And he, like, he is alive. He said he's alive. He's just, you know, off. He's just not present. He's not locked up. He said all this stuff. And I had puts on Alibaba. This is when Alibaba was back at 228. You can see the big green candle, I believe, that one day. Get rid like of this, this retreat so back like the 13th we're looking at i believe it was and i had puts i bought puts on alibaba because i was like i don't know maybe he's dead like maybe i don't know we don't know where jack ma is maybe he's locked up maybe he's detained when david faber came on cnbc that day and said he's not detained he's not dead you know he is alive he's just you know staying out of the you know the spotlight here for a bit and probably asked maybe by you know we don't know why but he's been staying up and, and as soon as he said it that day, I was like, oh, "I'm covering. I'm selling my puts." So I turned around and sold my puts. I had put spot for, for protection for, to protect the rest of my Alibaba position because I was nervous about it. So I know sure. what's going on, Jack Ma. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Okay, I'm selling my puts." And I mean, the stock went up a little bit that day, but we already knew this. And now they rally at sixteen dollars because we know Jack Ma is alive. David Faber reported this a week ago. So I'm like, "This is just stupid. This is a stupid." I think, move. I think I'm long one, Alibaba, no puts. I know. I I like it. I'm making a lot of my money back because it (laughs) got crushed here. But I feel like selling it all today. I feel like just getting the hell out of it. I honestly do. I feel like just getting out of all my Alibaba here today. If you were an Alibaba for a trade, today is the day to ring the register. I don't want to sell it all. I wanted to hold this stock forever, but I was nervous about what they might do. They still are under scrutiny. They're still under scrutiny here from the Chinese government. The CCP, you know, they're still looking at the, the
5: CCP. Still, you know, looking at the. Chat this got money. this one right, Dennis. The chat got for this sure one for sure. They right. did. They did. They did. Well, well who wait, does it Buy you... the dip, Joel? I mean, that's <laughs> a just blind squirrel. It,
4: it, it, it. I, I sold the dip because I said I never sell the dip. And there I sold you go. Half of my stock on the dip because I was really nervous. I didn't know what was going on. It's
5: wrong. You're in time was Wrong. Out. Wrong to you're, sell half. You. You are. You're in timeout, Dennis. You but you know
4: in... what? But look. You can be wrong. I bought puts, too.
5: But look what I did.
4: You was wrong David twice. Faber <laughs> said he's alive. I sold my puts. <laughs> I sold my puts I, when the stock was 230. Uh, Stock's 268. So did I get it all wrong? I so- shouldn't have sold half the position. But at the same time, there was a lot of unknowns there. It was scary. There was a lot of unknowns.
5: Uh, and just like this, just like in a snap of a fingers. look at this. You're back at halfway in the move. Of that entire break,
4: it's the time to sell it. Uh, if you bought it down there, I, I think if you, if bought you bought it for me it for trade, at two hundred and thirty dollars when I panicked. Time, time to sell it. It's time to sell it. I'm still long Alibaba. Full disclosure, I'm making money here. Everybody's laughing at me, but I'm making money. I'm up sixteen points on the position that yeah, I have. You can't
5: get everything right, right?
4: I have it right. I'm long the stock. Are you long uh, Alibaba? Uh, I made around. it right when I turned around I'm, that day when David Faber said he was live. Are you long Alibaba?
5: No, I'm not. So you okay, got you Well I'm making it it more right. money
4: on Alibaba long than you are. So <laughs> saying yeah, that I got no. it wrong I'm still long Alibaba. <laughs> All right. Should I have uh, sold half? No, but I'm not taking heat for a stock that I'm still long and the stocks of seventy I'm saying I want to sell the rest of it
5: today. I kind of uh, do. Pre, you know, it's funny because right on that 4 a.m. open, it hit 271.65. So just keep an eye on that. And then you also had some other highs. Ooh, and where did you, did you have any daily highs in that area? Uh, let's see. Bump, uh, bump. Uh, I see 268 was a couple highs. Oh, 271.30. So that coincided nicely with the December 4th high. So you are opening a little bit of resistance, but good news. We'll see if people ring the register.
3: That's the great thing about trading. Is sometimes two wrongs do make a right. In this case, I think that happened. All right, let's bring well, that I guess.
5: bought the putts. I'm,
4: I'm just saying, I bought the putts because yeah. I was nervous that Jack Ma was dead. I was honestly yeah. nervous that they actually might have him in jail or he might be dead. As soon as David Faber said it that day, that was the buying opportunity. It wasn't the buying opportunity the first day. It was the buying opportunity was when we had new information that Jack Ma was fine. And the stock was at 228 when David Faber came out. It ran to 240 that day and 250. Now it's coming out and people are like, oh, Jack Ma's alive. They're buying way late to the party here now. I think this is a sell today. I do think Alibaba a sell.
5: Like the reaction day, when you look at it, the actual reaction day, when I, and I put it on there, when, the China, when that was announced, that was, the, that was the low of the move that on that day that's
4: always the day though it's the capitulation day yep i mean a lot of times you know if we get more information we never had any negative information after that so it was we said this was a headline stock so anybody who bought it on that first day i'm going to tell you right now you're not going to like to hear it the people who bought on the first day if you bought this at 211 or 212 or 213 you got lucky you got lucky because you didn't know what the next headlines were going to be the smart money Bought the day that David Faber said that Jack Ma was fine. That was at 230. The 230 buy was a lot smarter than the 212 buy. I'm telling you that right now. People are going to get pissed off at me for saying that. The 230 buy will make you more money in the long run than the 212 buy. Even though you picked up an extra 18 points, we did not know what was going on at that point. We still don't know what's going on with Alibaba, the company. So people who are buying a 268 today, I think are crazy
2: because I still I, I don't agree know you, if no, there's no. going
4: to be repercussions against the company. It's still under antitrust. You know, is it not still under that, Spencer? Is it, are they not still looking at
3: it? It's under it. It's over it. It's it's every which way. Uh, let's bring on our first guest, Jake Wujastic from TrendSpider. Jake, where are you on this Alibaba situation? You, you've been trading it?
1: Uh, I haven't, but I've been watching it. And um, I actually have a chart up. Can you guys see the chart?
3: Let's see it. Can we see it now? Uh, Yeah.
1: All right. So So, can you
3: zoom in a little? So that's Alibaba.
1: Yeah, so this is Alibaba. The one thing that I wanted to point out here is simply the fact that there's still four gaps above. So if I turn on the gap um, indicator here on TrendSpider, you can see all of these different gaps from the gap downs all the way back from early November. And I just wanted to point that out. Obviously not all gaps fill, definitely not. But it is interesting to see that we do have quite a bit of, you know. I want to call them air pockets above for price to possibly kind of move into um, we already filled the one obviously from December 24th uh, yesterday but we still have this one around 275 going into today I'm not sure what the exact price is right now We'd, I don't have pre-market on right now but um, definitely something that's interesting um, you know a different perspective I guess just looking at overall gaps in price so we'll have to see what happens there but all in all um, you know I was I was definitely a little, uh, hesitant to say uh, Jack Ma was alive as well. I really didn't know what was going on there, but with all that uncertainty, I decided to kind of skip on the trade and, and move on to something else.
4: So. Well, there you go, Jake. I mean, you can always skip on the trade, and that's you know one thing too. I mean, will, will you buy a stock? will you typically buy a stock that's gapping down thirty bucks? Will no. you do that? No <laughs> no I mean, do you and, and I, I would tell you overall, you know, from my experience because I've lost a lot of money doing this. You know, thinking, trying to be the hero and buying it on day one, I lose money on that buy a lot more than I make money when I'm trying to buy stocks. You like to buy them as you start to show some strength; it starts to come back, correct? Like you're looking, you know, yep. at momentum on your side.
1: Yep. So actually, one of those is Disney. Disney's one that I've uh, been in. I was scaling in into some calls uh, in the last week, and you know, Disney's a good example of just kind of a, a nice pullback after all-time highs over the last uh, couple weeks. And now we've got a nice gap up today based on the the Netflix news. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Disney can get back up to those 180s, 185 area, possibly to new all-time highs. Um, One thing that I wanted to show here on Netflix, um, I thought this was pretty interesting, and I'll show it on Fubo as well. But yesterday on Netflix, we had this kind of weird price action. We had this pretty big wick here on on, uh, yesterday's price action, but then you can see... And I know I've gone over the raindrops quite a bit on the previous shows, but that's because they're really powerful. Um, Yesterday, you could see within this wick, there was a ton of volume within this wick. And what that tells me, it doesn't tell me, oh, this is buying volume, this is selling volume. What it tells me is the fact that we moved up pretty strong intraday yesterday, but then we pulled back. And a lot of people look at Wix as a function of, oh, sellers came in, they pushed price down. Well, you know, if you look at the other side of the supply and demand curve, what simply could have happened was there were some aggressive buyers intraday. And as those buyers were done buying yesterday, the supply and demand curve could have shifted and not because sellers came in, but simply because those buyers were done aggressively selling for the day. And you can see by this big bulge of volume here, that there was buying conviction. Buyers were absorbing supply that was being dumped on the market near the high of day here. And then you can see towards the end of the close, we did have that pullback, um, likely because demand was just increasing relative to what it was, not because a bunch of sellers came in. So that's something interesting that kind of lined up with uh, yesterday's after hours and pre-market move today for Netflix. And um, you know it will be, it'll be interesting to see if we finally break out of this crazy range that we've been in now for literally four or five months, um, or maybe even longer at this point. And so you know that we're pretty much right at this top area here uh, for Netflix. So if we break out of this 575 area, you know, it could get interesting. And I think Wells Fargo just came out with a $700 price target on this. So, you know, it makes sense for this to really kind of break through and possibly kind of get another uh, run going.
3: So, Jake, what else are you watching here? You, you, you're trading earnings, stocks heading into earnings, stocks heading out of earnings, or what's on your radar?
1: Yep. So, honestly, Fubo is big time on my radar. Um, Fubo is one that I'm definitely considering possibly taking a position in. The one thing that I like here is a couple things. One, uh, we have the anchored volume by price. So, remember, the anchored volume by price just allows me to say, you know, since the start of this symmetrical triangle, where is a majority of the volume holding? So, if I start the volume by price pretty much starting at this trend line here. And you can see I'm moving this line. You can see that a majority of shares are holding right around this, let's say, twenty seven to twenty nine seventy five area. And this is exactly where price bounced off yesterday. And it's likely a uh, supply and demand thing. A majority of shares are holding at this area. So as the price gets back down to this area, these shares that were just holding at forty dollars at, you know, almost a 30, 35% gain are now back to break even, supply dries up and that's how you get your bounce yesterday. The other thing that I wanted to mention is if you do look at the raindrop versus the hollow candle, you actually had a red candle yesterday and a green raindrop. And essentially that just means that the volume weighted average price during the second half of yesterday's price action was higher than the first. And a lot of the time that will tell us sometimes when there's gonna be a reversal. I'd say more than none. Uh, SPY was a good example of this on Friday. Everybody's freaking out about, you know, the market dropping on, you know, during OPEX. Um, But if you see here, you know, Friday, we had a pretty decent move down. But then you can see this raindrop was pretty much telling us that most of the volume that took place on Friday was actually at the top of the range, which shows that there was conviction by buyers absorbing that supply near the high of the day. So is Fubo going to be another one of those? I mean, I think Fubo from last I checked is up at least three percent pre-market so if we really break out of this symmetrical triangle you know things should get pretty interesting here in the coming days and so uh fubo's one i'm watching crm is another one that i've uh entered over the last couple days i was scaling into a, a position here um you can see that we're pretty much breaking out of this uh this falling wedge here today um in pre-market at least. And then if how long try- does it
5: take you to get, like, how long were you, uh, like, do you go one, two, three cracks and, you know, whether it goes higher or lower, how, how many, uh, how many layers
1: do you like to put on and how long does it take? Uh, depends on what I'm trading. So if I'm in an options contract, I'm generally not going to just keep adding. And, you know, generally I have a decent amount of conviction when I'm buying. Um, I think in this particular one, I've scaled in twice. Um, so I think I've, 10 contracts of the March uh, 2019 250s. The main reason I entered those was really if you backtest some of these previous moves here, um you know, when we finally get started on CRM, it can move pretty quick. So back in August, uh we had this move from around 193 all the way up to 275. Uh in September, we bottomed out at 235 area and moved up to around 270 within about 2 weeks. Uh, which was almost uh, 14%, and then we did it again in November. We moved down from around, uh, we moved up from 235 all the way up to 270 or so. So, you know, I'm I'm generally looking at the previous moves in a in a similar type of situation. I don't use lower indicators a lot unless we have something like this where you know we've got this gradual move down, lower lows. But then you can see on the RSI we're actually getting higher lows here, and we are seeing some divergence. You can see if I kind of draw another trend line here, we're getting really tight within this uh, within this RSI kind of coiling up right here. So um, definitely not something I use a lot as far as lower indicators. They can false signal all the time. But anytime I have you know a setup like this where you're definitely having this gradual lower lows and you're kind of getting this spring kind of coiling, um, I definitely like to look at the RSI and the percent range. Can you re- give us a,
5: um, a teardrop chart on GameStop?
1: yeah
5: i mean with some fun ones i mean your analysis i love the
4: teardrop i'm gonna tell you jake i do love the teardrop i love the fact that you're looking at where the volume is taking place at the beginning of the day end of the we know where is it happening because you know you see these wild candles and you know you got one sell-off in the morning and then it's you know trade up all after, and and a normal candle looks the same it tells you so much more so i do love your teardrops
1: thank you yeah so um you know they're they're raindrops aren't they they're raindrops,
4: yeah. Oh man, did I? Hey, no, I screwed everything
5: up.
1: I've heard all that. Um, well, no,
5: no. When they go, if you if it goes against them, then it's a teardrop. When it goes against it. it turns hey, don't into a steal teardrop. that from me, Jake. I won't. I won't. I, uh, I'll I want know. a patent on that right right now. Yeah.
1: So, um, the one thing about raindrops is right. You if you want to look at where volume um, is coming in, as Dennis mentioned, generally you're going to have to go down to the two minute chart or the five minute chart and look and see okay where did these volume blocks come in during the day where if you just look at the daily raindrop all of that information is in one candle and so um with gamestop here you can see that you know yesterday at least there wasn't a ton of volume at the top of the range however we did have this solid uh this solid candle here which tells us that you know we did close higher than the previous day except you know the the close was lower than the open showing a little bit of uh, potential selling pressure if that's how you look at them. So you can see here, you know, we did have this type of uh, candle here before the move down, but then you can see the difference, right? You've got this red raindrop with this solid candle, but yesterday we have this green raindrop with the solid candle. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm not sure what GameStop's doing this morning. I think it's up quite a bit, um, but uh, I could be wrong. I'm just basing that on what I was looking at earlier, but um, yeah, so, you know, as far as you know volume goes i would definitely want to see more volume at the top of the range but you can see that you know over the last few days we have had quite a bit of uh, volume um, near the top of the range showing conviction by buyers and so the way i like to use raindrops is anytime we have a wick like this i want to see what's going on within this wick so netflix was a good example of that Um, anytime you're looking at a discrepancy between the color of a candle and a raindrop is also something to keep in mind. So the Fubo example, SPY example. Um, and you can actually scan for these. So if you're looking and you wanted to scan for a balloon raindrop, you just go to the scanner. Um, you just I just type in balloon. And you can find these, especially intraday. So if you use the current candle, and let's say it's, it's 3 PM Eastern time, and I want to look for balloon raindrops that could possibly show continuation into the next day, you just click the current candle. go to condition you add session uh candlestick pattern just type in balloon and you'll be able to scan for the balloon raindrop on any type of uh you know set of stocks so if we do s p 500 index uh we can pretty much scan for those now obviously it's pre-market so anything that we find on the current candle is going to be from yesterday but it is something to, you know, consider when you are oh, the reason why it's not working, you gotta make sure that you click raindrop here instead of regular. You market. know what, I got another term for you. Oh yeah. Before God. we let you go.
5: Oh, when no. when, is, I'm when a stock no, 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 when a stock's in
1: come on guys. <laughs> it's not
5: fair, his answer
4: was- <laughs> All right, go ahead.
5: <laughs> when a stock's in consolidation, right? And you're trying to figure out what it's doing, do you call that eye drops?
3: Joel, <laughs> this is what Joel was thinking about the entire la- the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Joel was thinking about oh, man. We like our
4: puns <laughs> on this show, Jake. I'm
5: gonna you ruined, you, it. you. you this- ruined it. You ruined <laughs> it. I you ruined, you ruined you it. Know. You ruined you know. it. I bet you, want you want just to, at least one person in the chat likes it. You may want one to that one too. Uh, oh, see, look at LOL. Get ready. Copyright it. People like it.
1: Another one here is G- uh, Gilead. Um, you've got the wick here. You've got most of that volume within the wick, so it could be another one um, interesting into the in the coming days. But um, I mean, yeah. at Gilead, it's
4: blasted off because you got oh, the yeah. dash for trash, dash for trash. This is the trashiest biotech stock that we've had going. Everybody's wow. looking for what hasn't went, and they're and they're going. And obviously, your 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 systems are going to pick up stuff like this too. Um, it is incredible, you know, basically two week move here for Gilead. It started right from the beginning of the year. Classic, you know, seasonality in here as well. So how much are you, do you incorporate any seasonality? Like do you incorporate, are you just using just the technicals, Jake?
1: No, I love seasonality. Um, so we actually have a seasonality feature on Trendspider. Sweet. So you go to sidebar, show sidebar. You can see here, I can show, you know, if I want to look at the month, if I want to look at the day. So an interesting one on this is uh, Apple. So if you look at Apple, uh, let's just go to a full screen so you guys can see this a little better. Um, I kind of saw this descending uh, triangle here yesterday. But uh, let's go to Apple day of the week. Maybe we want to see how has Apple performed since January of 2020 each day of the week. You can actually see that. So Monday has a 68% win rate versus Friday, which only has a 35% win rate. So when you look at these percentages, it's not, oh, this has a 68 percent probability of monday being you know green it's 68 percent of the time over the last year mondays have closed green versus friday's closed. so um this is something i use all the time you can use it on the monthly so if we went to the uh you know each month of the year and we wanted to go back let's say since uh, january of 2010 you can see how each month of the year performs so january has about a 50 percent win rate but you can see into february Um, This has a nice spike to 73%. So I always uh, incorporate seasonality into this type of thing. Um, Generally, more on swing position trades, but yeah, um, you know, because at the end of the day, if you look at it, if you look at day of the week seasonality, you really want to make sure it's because after five years, the numbers really become normalized a little bit. You don't have a lot of discrepancies. But if you look at, let's say, the day of the week over the last six months, you'll definitely see some discrepancies. Or let's say you looked at the day of the week since we bottomed in March of 2020, you'll definitely see some interesting results.
3: All right. Jake Wojastic is the co-founder of Spotter. Jake, as always, we appreciate your charts and your thoughts. Have a good one.
1: Hey, thanks so much. And uh, quickly, uh, BZ25, you guys can get 25% off any plan um, by signing yes. up using that code, BZ25. BZ25. Thanks, you guys, so much for having me. And uh, we we'll go. talk to you soon.
4: All right. Uh, thanks,
3: Jake.
1: My, was jo- my F- joke was so
5: bad that after I said uh, it. I don't-
4: he- <laughs> He's still on his joke. You can, <laughs> hear, a we pin- all- you can
5: hear a pin <laughs> drop.
4: Yeah. So let's, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to go back to CRM. I'm mean, just going to move away Delete from the joke. I mean, I'm completely now. ignoring it. <laughs> I'm going back to CRM. <laughs> uh, okay, so I I don't know anything about the technicals on CRM here. All I know is Kathy Wood bought it last night. And I bought it too. That's all you need so, to know. That's all it. Yeah, it's up here this morning because Kathy Wood took a position. CRM has been waiting for a vote of confidence, and now Kathy Wood buys. Uh, how many shares did she buy? It, it doesn't even matter. It's just a vote of confidence that she brings it. Um, because it's a stock that she hasn't bought for a while. I don't know. I haven't followed her forever, so I don't know if she's bought in the past or not. But if we look last night, she bought, bringing up my little ARC report, she bought 87,000 shares so yesterday. So as soon as I saw, obviously see that, I was able to pick it up last night, and it's up more here this morning. I'm like, some stock she's going to buy, and they're not going to react. But this is a stock that wanted a vote of confidence. It's been leaking, 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 leaking. And now you get that from Kathy. I'm just gonna try to hold some of this extra um, that I bought. I obviously have CRM as well because I was trying to buy it on the dip the first day, which didn't work out so well for me, which I was talking about earlier. Um, but um, so, anyways, like learning the hard way there and trying to teach other people something, but everybody says I'm stupid. So <laughs> CRM two nineteen fifty two. It's trading up three bucks. I think you could get some follow through here. I don't think this is one just that I've been be digesting
5: that big move. Just, you yeah, know, it and it, 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 it so the deal. technicals it's line the up.
4: Jake likes the technicals, you know. Those are lining up. You got a Kathy Wood vote of confidence in here. Makes me think that we get above two twenty here, we could start to get off to the races. So I
5: kind of like CRM here. It's just digesting that uh, that big purchase, right? And some people just were out for you know for that reason that hey, I, you know, they're making a big acquisition. I'm not sure when it's really gonna help the bottom line. And but I mean, it did it. Considering where it's at from the day that they did the report or they did the takeover, it's just it's hanging in there, and and, and you got a reference point here. It won't doesn't look like it wants to go lower, and it just needs a little a little boost to go higher. This is Kathy. the boost,
4: I think. I think this is it. I think this is like an upgrade. So I think with Kathy Let's, coming in, it's equivalent to an upgrade. So I think
5: it. I think it
4: could show some life from here. You also get the people that once they see Kathy would buy once. Sometimes, like Spencer said, she buys the next day, and then she'll buy. She's not always just buying it all at once. Sometimes she starts buying, and she takes a few days to get to where she wants to be. So there's going to be anticipatory traders thinking, "Oh, maybe she's going to be buying again today." You know, and then maybe not the case. You know, some days she's one and done, but other days she comes back in, and you can see, like you know, even with Sarepta was interesting. You think she's one and done, and she bought some on that first big dip day. Then I had the big rally. She didn't buy the next day because it rallied up. She's like, well, I'm not buying. But then it pulled back like two days later, and she bought some more. So she's got to buy the dip. She <laughs> must listen to pre market prep. She buys the dip too. She likes to buy in the dip. So uh,
5: I just go that CRM. I can't give you an exact number here, but if you're just a little bit shorter term of a trader, put RM there. Um, I'm just going to call 224 an area of interest, at least to me, because when you go back. I see. This is at the end of the year, and then the first couple trading days. I could spot one, two, three, four, five highs. And if you go almost in the middle of those highs, you come up to two twenty four. So, just a, a minor target, four bucks away. If you're, you know, if you're obviously looking for more, there's more. But I'm just there were sellers there. Uh, end of the year, the highest point was two twenty five thirty. The lowest point was two twenty two seventy nine. So. Two twenty four is good enough for me. Anything else you want to cover here, Spence? Before we uh, bring on Blue?
3: Yeah, I want to cover LAC Lithium Americas. They uh, announced uh, a an offering yesterday afternoon, and the Uh terms were announced this morning. So they're going to offer fifteen point nine million shares at twenty two dollars per share. So I I actually haven't checked if the stock is still halted. I I wouldn't think no, it's out of the halt
4: and it's down. Yeah, no, I mean, this there. is the one thing, one lesson here before I go, and everybody's mad at me because I'm trying to do a teaching t- uh, Tuesday No here, one's or, or, mad at you, Dennis. But, but um, <laughs> you know, people don't like to learn. They just want a stock tip. Uh, but one thing I will tell you <laughs> is that if you're chasing big moves like LAC had yesterday, a lot of times if you think, oh, a company needs money to grow – they are they do those offerings after the big moves because they know they can price it better. BNGO is the same thing here. Yeah, you, you know everybody you know saying oh BNGO is going to fifteen. I mean this is a biotech company probably going to have to do an offering to raise money. And if you're chasing it up yesterday blindly buying it up at nine ninety five or nine fifty or nine fourteen, um, you got to kind of anticipate that there's probably going to be an offering coming here. They announced it last night. We get the pricing this morning. The pricing on BNGO is six bucks. So that's why it's down significantly. So you can have the prettiest chart ever, but you've got to be able to Offerings anticipate different down, yeah. things like that. And you get an offering down at $6, stock's going down. So does it hold here? It is for growth. I think the LAC one's for growth as well. Full disclosure, I'm still long LAC. But when you're coming in just blindly chasing moves on some of these smaller biotech companies especially, just be careful because a lot of times after a big move, day or two after, they do the offering and then the stock pulls in and that's usually your buying opportunity. I mean, if this, if you're, you're so inclined that you love this bingo story, and I don't follow the story at all, and I'm saying bingo, B-N-G-O, it's bio-nano-genomics. Um, if you easier love this story, say, you know this bingo. is these are more the times. Now, I don't think it's getting all the way down to six because this one's for growth but you know if it gets into the 6s there's there's an opportunity potentially there i don't follow the story i'm not doing it but just you know coming and chasing it at 9 or 10 you're quickly down 15 20% because you weren't thinking about the the possibility of an offering and that happens when you see these big pops on these smaller
5: biotech companies Uh, They're both holding above their offering price as we speak, so I don't even know if you're going to get a chance to buy them at the offering price. But if you do, they're pretty good floor, but seems to be well- Those act like floors on the growth ones. So
4: I don't think it's getting a 6, though, just like I don't think LAC is going to get all the way down to 22. So...
5: Okay. All right, well, let's zoom out. Thank let's you talk, for the lessons. Let's
3: talk big picture here. Let's bring on our, our guest, Blue Putnam. He is a managing director and chief economist at the CME Group. Blue, good morning.
0: Good morning.
3: All right, let's zoom out here. Uh, you are, of course, an economist. So can you give us your bull case and your bear case for the overall U.S. economy? Sorry,
0: we'll start U.S. U.S. economy this year. Well, the U.S. economy is probably going to have uh, –
2: Two halves. You know, the
0: first half we're starting pretty slow. We're losing jobs, the epidemic is gaining speed, uh, but you know, the vaccine's coming, and it really will come. So uh, the second half will be totally different. Uh, we'll start reopening the economy at full speed. Uh, there'll be stimulus coming. We don't know how much stimulus, but the fiscal side, Janet Yellen,'s gonna be pushing stimulus. Uh, she's already did that in her testimony yesterday. So, uh, you know, the second half, uh, we'll reopen the economy, we'll have more stimulus, uh, there'll be a sense of optimism, and there's also a lot of pinup up demand. Uh, It's demand, interestingly, for services. Services, particularly tourism, hospitality, those things, uh, we haven't been able to spend money on. So we spent it on goods, and uh, that actually benefited places like China, which exports those goods. But, uh, you know, the second half, we'll see a different picture. Uh, So uh, and markets are forward looking. So the fact that markets are forward looking, they're going to be looking at the post pandemic world. And, uh, you know, it's coming.
3: Yeah, but they've been trying to look past it pretty much since like (laughs) the middle the end of March last (laughs) year. Right.
0: I mean, well, the equity market certainly has. But that's because, you know, we got so much fiscal stimulus and then the Federal Reserve supported it. Uh, The equity market, I I think, you know, is going to have interesting issues with uh, transitions as we go from first half to second half. Uh, You know, a lot of times after you have stocks or sectors or indexes that run up a lot and then you get a change in the environment, you can get some rotational shifts. So, you know, small cap stocks uh, tend to do a little better in a slightly more inflationary environment. Um, They didn't do as well in the earlier part of the pandemic. Uh, the tech stocks are going to have to deal with uh, potentially more regulation. So, you know, there are going to be some interesting uh, shifts underneath the markets for you guys to get into.
5: What about the, uh, the inflation front here? Uh, what do you, I mean, endless amounts of money, um, you know, money supply just growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, right now, you know, the market doesn't seem to be worried about it. What are your forecasts for inflation in 2021?
0: Well, I, I take a little disagreement that the market's not worried about inflation. We have seen the uh, the tips, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, get back to a two percent break even, which is not really worried about inflation, but they were down well below two percent, so they've come back. We've seen the ten year yield on Treasuries go above one percent in a pretty decisive way. So you know, there's a little bit of a sense that things are changing, but I wouldn't call those. Uh, you know, you're right; they're not really worried about inflation yet, but they're just seeing a little bit of change. Um, The the other thing you mentioned is that there's a lot of money floating around. Let's be very uh, specific about this. Sure, there's money as you measure it by M1 or M2. There's money uh, in terms of if you measure the Fed's balance sheet or excess reserves of the banking system. But this is not the kind of money that buys goods and services. People buy goods and services with their credit cards. They move money from their investment accounts. They can click on their smartphones. The measures that we have of the Fed balance sheet and of the money supply haven't had any correlation with inflation for 25 or more years. So they are absolutely not an indicator of goods and service inflation. They are an indicator of asset price inflation, which we have had uh, since the Fed uh, has been more active. So, you know, the question of uh, whether we're going to get goods and service inflation is still quite up in the air. Certainly. You know if you go kind of back to an economics 101 to get goods and service inflation you have to have a lot more demand for goods and services than you have supply and the money supply and the fed do- don't create that kind of demand uh it's generally if it's going to happen it's probably going to come from fiscal policy and and it has to be demand for things that otherwise wouldn't be bought uh you know infrastructure or maybe providing money to state and local governments who would then spend the money on things that wouldn't otherwise have happened. So those kind of things have the potential to to uh, add up and eventually create some inflation. But so far, you know, we, we haven't seen it. One last thought on this inflation thing. If, if you go back 400 years or so and you look at when we've had inflation periods around the world, they're almost all associated with war. And the reason they are is because governments uh, use a lot of debt to buy a lot of military equipment, goods and services for fighting the war. And, and that creates the inflation. And when the war is over, the inflation goes away. Uh, you know, and, and the only possible exception to that recently was the 1970s. But in the 60s, we start. we had the Vietnam War and in the U.S. the Great Society program. So we, we did have fiscal policy being extremely expansive. So, uh, you know, I'm coming across not as a monetarist here. I do believe that that uh, money is important for inflation, but the Federal Reserve doesn't have the ability to create inflation on its own anymore.
5: We don't really don't talk about like the trade deficit. I mean, we do talk about the US dollar a little bit, uh, but uh, China has been steadily dumping US treasuries really, you know, over, you know, going back at least six, seven months here. Are you worried that if they continue to do this, that it's really going to start to have, or if other countries, you know, start doing this and run on the dollar or anything, do you see that really hurting, uh, you know, our trade deficit and it just ballooning? Because I know their numbers are good and ours are looking bad. Just talk about uh, China dumping U.S. Treasuries.
0: Well, China has been rearranging its portfolio of foreign reserves, and they've been uh, slowly, as you mentioned, tilting away from U.S. Treasuries. Uh, When we get the more current data, that that data tends to be lagged several months. When we get more current data, that that trend may disappear for a little bit, and that's just because the Chinese currency has been so strong. It's up about 10% against the U.S. dollar since last summer. Uh, And that really is, as you mentioned, that's on the strength of their exports. Uh, Countries that have a lot of capital controls and regulations to prevent the free movement of money they still respond to trade flows, particularly if their exports are strong. So the strength of Chinese exports has been a big thing pushing their currency. When their currency is strong, they do tend to tilt back to buying a few uh, US treasuries and that's just to keep the currency from moving even, even faster, higher. Uh, but in the long run, uh, you know, China and many other countries probably do want to diversify their foreign reserve holdings. You know, the dollar, depending on the country, can represent 60 to 70 percent of foreign reserves. And most countries would prefer, I think, to have a little fewer dollars, but they don't want to lose money. So uh, they're very, very careful when when they do their diversification. Uh, There is no immediate uh, competitor for the dollar. Uh, The euro, the Chinese yuan, these are not real competitors yet. So the, the competitor is diversification. Uh, just moving into a lot of different things so we'll we'll see how that goes but i'm not, I'm neither a long term bull or bear on the dollar I, I just uh, watch it closely
3: blue when, when you talk about the Fed creating asset price inflation, obviously what comes to mind is equities and real estate, but are there other assets that you're watching as, as far as price inflation serious price inflation
0: well you know you're, you're quite right the uh, you know the Fed buys treasuries and mortgage-backed securities so those are the markets they're directly involved in uh, on, on buying and then to the extent that they buy mortgage-backed securities and keep short-term interest rates near zero uh, that's going to help mortgage rates that's going to help make housing more affordable all those kind of things so you know so you can get some uh, extra demand for housing or for the a uh, things that go into houses, you know, refrigerators, appliances, and wood, wood prices uh, went up last year. So a lot of things like that uh, we we do watch. The other thing we're watching um, regarding the Fed that could be interesting in uh, 2021 is distressed debt. There's a lot of, there's a lot of debt out there that is in some degree of trouble because of the balance sheets of the companies that have not done well in the pandemic. And to some extent, the programs on, in fiscal policy and some of the Fed's policies have been able to extend the time when, when before that uh, problem shows up. But I do think we're going to have some pretty serious issues in parts of the distressed debt world in 2021. And, and that's just a reckoning that, that we put off, but we haven't prevented. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Fed, uh, working with Janet Yellen at the Treasury, uh, creates a special uh, facility, as they call them, where the the Fed would lend money to uh, to the special facility, and then that special facility would would buy distressed debt. I don't know that that's going to happen, but but you know the, the Yellen uh, Treasury and the Powell Fed are going to coordinate in ways that we've just never seen the Fed and the Treasury coordinate in a long time. so that, that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch.
5: Yeah, and I was just going to ask you for your comments uh, on Janet Yellen, and just also, uh, you know, change in administration, change in politics. Um, I mean, I, I think I think what the market's anticipating is, you know, Biden's is going to pretty much, you know, stay the course with a a lot of things with the economy. Just your observations, and you know, the first, you know, first year of a new administration and change in the White House.
0: Well, there are a couple of observations here. Uh, I think. You know, President-elect Biden will change that title uh, around noon today, New York time, Washington time. Uh, But, you know, he uh, learned a lot from being vice president in the Obama years. And one of the things that I think he probably learned is you've got to get as much done as you can while you have control of the House and Senate. Because once you lose control of either of those houses, uh, your agenda is going to be much, much more difficult to get through. So that means if, if I'm right about that, then we're going to see an extremely active first year uh, from 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 Biden, uh, and in the thing, and we'll find out as uh, you know as the, the first hundred days goes on what he considers to be be important. But he's been pretty clear, you know, about uh, the vaccine and about you know the economy and things like that. So you know we're going to see some more stimulus. What it'll actually look like. Uh, I don't know, because you know there are a lot of different issues within the Democratic Party, and so he's going to have to sort through those, and it'll take some time, but but I really believe that you're going to see an extraordinarily active first year uh, while he knows he has the ability to get the program through Congress.
3: Blue, just before we let you go, I, w- I want to move it away from politics, back towards uh, inflation for a second. We've, we've railed against CPI uh, on, on this show. Uh, <laughs> The accuracy, the true accuracy of a number like CPI. Uh, ha- how much weight do you put in that number? I- is that to you a fair gauge of
0: inflation? Well, it's one of the gauges. Uh, I'm also a skeptic about the CPI. I actually think it overestimates inflation. I think it's very, very hard to uh, to figure out. You know what a what a smartphone is worth, what all this technology is worth, that the the price may go up, but the number of features has skyrocketed. They could do so much more. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty tough job for the people in charge of the Consumer Price Index to figure out. So, you know, I look at everything from from wages to consumer prices to the personal consumption expenditure to individual prices. I mean, I even look at things like cardboard. Uh, (laughs) You know, if you go down to – wherever you dump your cardboard and there's nothing there, that means we're in a recession. (laughs) So sell everything. Uh, You know, I mean, there are a lot of different prices to to look at. Um, But I do think, you know, in defense of the CPI, if you look at five or six, seven different metrics, it does give you a reasonable idea of whether inflation is going up or down. So it might underestimate inflation. But if it were to start to rise, I think you would see generally prices rising in lots of different sectors. So you would agree, you know, it's not a it's just not precise. I I mean, it bothers me a lot that economists talk in decimal places. I mean, really, what's the difference between one point six and one point eight on the CPI? I'll tell you that that's so far inside the Arizona on that number, it means nothing. So I'm really looking is do we go from one to two to three to four? last comment on inflation once it starts it is really hard to stop and that's because you get a vicious cycle of expectations you get rising inflation you get a weaker dollar they feed on each other it's not good that's the late 60s 70s then the other side of that is equally true if you go a long period with no inflation or very little like we have we have you know we've been around 2% inflation since 1994 two and a half decades Inflation expectations lock in that you're not having it. And so when that they lock in, it's extremely hard to start. So I just want to point out that uh, if inflation does get started in the next couple of years, watch out. It won't stop easily.
3: All right. Blue Putnam is managing director <laughs> and chief economist at the CME Group. Blue, we appreciate your insight as always. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. All right. That's going to be a wrap for us here today. Uh, for all you podcast listeners, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Smash that like button on YouTube, wherever you're watching our show today. Thanks to our guests, both blue and Jake. We appreciate that. Thanks to all of you in our chats, all Three or four of our chats. We appreciate all your participation, all your comments. Uh thank you to uh, for that. You can always email us, premarket at benzinga.com with any questions, comments, or concerns, and catch us on every major podcast platform. Everyone have a good rest of your day. We'll be back at 3 40 PM Eastern time. Until then, good luck in your trades.
0: Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas Podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors Inc one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies
1: that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened,
0: and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today.